have been journeying since November 28th through the promises, not just the promises, not looking, trying to look at all 7,400 promises in the scriptures, but zeroing in on the mega promises, the, the supersized promises, if you will, the promises that are called covenants, that God literally puts a stake in the ground and says, this is the way it's going to be. This is what I want to do with you. This is what I want to do with the people uh, 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 that, that he's created and that he loves and he's designed. And 500, in this time, from November 28th to the present, 504 hours is kind of what we've been journeying, okay? Through this journey uh, of, of looking at this. However, we're not even touching the surface of time because we've been jumping 500-year increments week over week looking at these covenants, going back to 2000 uh, BC, whenever uh, the first covenant was made that we studied, that we've been studying along and looking at the covenant that God made with Abram. And I'm not going to go back and reread all of this, but you can see up there that all the I will statements that God makes in this unilateral covenant. He picks a pagan individual, not worshiping God, a 75-year-old man married to a woman who uh, named Sarah who not had any children. Yet he's going to promise nations will be born through him. Again, God does incredible things. He uses the most unlikely people. And he chose Abram, a pagan individual from Ur, to be the person that would carry the blessing, that would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Again, you can't miss, you can't mess up a unilateral covenant, but you can miss it. You can't mess it up, but you can miss it. Let's not miss those unilateral uh, covenants that God makes. Then the directional covenant. Whenever he did the Mosaic Covenant, he established his covenant with, Mo, uh, with Moses. It was going to be for all generations. Again, we talked about the different kinds of law. The moral law is, 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 is always in, in place and still guides us to this day. And he literally says, if you do this, I will do that. And he says it in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says this. He says, I will call on heaven and earth as a witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. You got two roads, not five roads. You got two roads. There may be lots of variations of that one of those roads, but two roads, one is blessing, one is curse, one is life, one is death. And the challenge to all of us is to therefore choose life. Make good choices. Choose life is what he said. And notice the very next verse that he says this, loving the Lord. It always starts in a love relationship. Please hear that. It's not this list of do's and don'ts. It is, a, it is a covenant that God makes with us that he's wanting to lead us to life. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him for he is your life and the length of days. Now let's just break that down for just a, for just a skinny minute here. Notice the emphasis, notice the sequencing of this, that he calls us, it starts with a relationship and a relationship that he says, I want a love relationship. And that's going to lead to delight. That delight's going to lead to a duty. Yes, there are things you do when you're in a love relationship. It's a duty, if you will, but that's only going to lead you to delight that you're going to find more and more joy and fulfillment and flourishing in life. But it starts in a love relationship. That's what he calls us to. Now, what religion is starts with duty, moves to exhaustion and shame. Some would like to think it religion leads to 
to life. No, it doesn't. It leads to exhaustion and shame because you can't quite live up to it. You can't quite, can't quite achieve it. You can't quite reincarnate enough in this world to, to get to that, that point. He calls us to this love relationship, loving the Lord, your God, obeying his voice. Notice it starts with delight, moves to duty, and holding fast to him. And what is he going to do? You're going to have life and length of days. Again, directional covenant of God is not meant to hamper you. It's meant to help you. It's meant to enable you. It's it's meant to keep you from shame and regret and misfortune that you bring on yourself when we don't align with God. Leads me to the reigning covenant. He established 500 years later with David. And again, he's just establishing this. God has always been on the throne. Listen, this may shock and be a complete shocker to some of you today, but God's not a Republican. And he's not a Democrat. And God really doesn't care if you grew up in a democracy. Or he doesn't really care if you grew up in a monarchy. Or if you grew up in communist country. Because at the end of the day, there is one king of kings and there is one Lord of lords. And David is saying, and through, the, through this covenant with David, he's just establishing, hey, I'm going to be the king. And if you don't, if you don't buy into that, so many of us have given over to a political party, to, 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 to one opinion, and we have lost the, the bearings of what it means to be under the lordship of Christ because we're under the lordship of a party. We be careful of that. You forget that. Read the last book of the Bible. It tells you the end of the story. Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw the heaven open and behold a white horse. And one setting on it called faithful and true. I'll let you imagine who that person is. Faithful and true is in his righteousness. He judges and makes war on his robe and on his thigh. Yes, maybe that's a case for a a leg sleeve. I don't know. He has the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On his thigh. His king, I don't know if he has king of kings and lord of lords or what. But on his thigh, he is bearing who he is as he comes. And then we come to the new covenant that we want to talk about today. The new covenant. It's not the Davidic covenant. It's, it's, it's not the Abrahamic covenant. But each covenant's building on each other and giving us clarity about where we're heading Again, it's kind of like picking up a package and kind of get every, every stage you get a little closer to understanding what that gift is. Our gift comes wrapped in a new covenant, wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a manger, the most unlikely place that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come. In an unknown town, in an unknown place, because there was no room in the end, to an unknown family, not an aristocrat family, not a Pharisee family, not some muckety-muck family, the most obscure he is born into this world, just showing that our King of kings and Lord of lords is willing to step off the throne and come to us, no matter how low you are. No matter how far off you are, 
And you got to remember what's going on whenever we come to the book of Jeremiah. It is the darkest day in all the Old Testament of the history of the people of Israel. The darkest day. Assyria has come in. Tagathpilazer, say that five times, is the king who comes in and takes over and pretty much makes the people of, of God his slave. And followed behind Assyria comes Babylon. Babylon comes in and, and, and they not only make the land theirs, but they come in and pillage the land. They tear down the walls. They tear down the temple. They, 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 they pillage the temple. They take it and they take 70,000 people over the course of the, uh, of the years. They will take 70,000 people back to Babylon, modern day Iraq, and they will make them their slaves. You read the book of Daniel, you'll find the story of who Daniel serving in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. So you can find the story playing out there. But there was always a remnant. There was always a few even left behind way back in Jerusalem. And one of those guys was a guy named Jeremiah. Really, again, obviously wasn't the most educated because if he had been educated, he would have been in Babylon's court. Obviously not, not the most wealthy because if he was wealthy, he would have probably been killed. Obviously not a political leader because his family would have been annihilated. But he was this person that was left back. And Jeremiah is a prophet in the land. And even though he may be a zero to the world, he was God's person that he wanted to use. Look at the words of Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. It says, Now the Lord, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This passage of scripture has meant so much to me in my own personal life. The very first exegetical paper that I did as a freshman in college in my Old Testament survey class was an exegetical paper on this passage. It was one of the passages that God solidified my call into the ministry was this passage right here. And I wanted to study it in its depths. But when I look at this, I see some beautiful things that God was doing before Jeremiah was walking on this earth while he was still in his mother's womb. Notice this, he was formed by God. It's the word yasar in the Hebrew language, and it means to literally take clay pot and to make it. It's used in Isaiah and Zechariah and three other times or two other times in Jeremiah does he refer to it as a clay pot. It's an artistic expression of creating something. God is forming them. Mothers, expecting mothers in the room and watching online today, let me just tell you this, that baby is being formed by the hand of God. It's a beautiful thing. When does the value of life begin? I believe it begins in the womb. You in the womb, I knew you. God knows us. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Before uh, I appointed you. Notice all the ways that God is invested in the, in the child while it's still in the womb. And then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. God has always, strangely enough, 
Strangely enough, he'll use an uneducated fisherman. He'll use John the Baptist to be a voice in the wilderness. He's always using people to carry out his message. He gives you his message, puts it in his, puts it in your heart so that you will live sent, that you will go out showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. That's because he put his word in your mouth, just like he did Jeremiah. It's a beautiful reality that if we'll all wake up to it, God has always used people, clay jar, clay pot people, messed up crack pots is what we are. He chooses to use us. Jeremiah 31, look there with me today. While they're in their darkest days, they're scattered from Assyria. They'll end up in Persia before they ever make it back, before Nehemiah will ever rebuild the walls, before the scrolls, Ezra will ever find the scrolls buried in the ashes of the burned down, broken down temple. He'll, before all of that, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, as he's called, we have more words from Jeremiah than any other prophet in the Bible. We have from Jeremiah. It says this, God gave him a message of hope. Behold, the days are coming, verse 31 in chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming. They're not here yet. They're coming. 160 hours till Christmas. There's going to be another 500 years. They're coming, declares the Lord. And then when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with the fathers, with their fathers, On the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land, my covenant that they broke. Why are you in this hot mess? Because you broke my covenant. You didn't listen to my direction. I told you there's two roads. There's life and death. There's blessing and curse. You chose one. You chose the wrong one. Though I was their husband. Now by... Friends, I'm not going to have time to dwell on that statement. But Jesus, God, looks at us as a marriage. And when we don't do what he wants us to do, we're like cheating on God. For this covenant that I will make, and notice all the I will statements. There's going to be six of them if you haven't noticed it so far. Make the house of Israel after the days that, that declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother. Probably the hardest little phrase to understand is there. We'll be there in a moment. Know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And this last statement is not hard to understand. It's just hard to fathom. For I will forgive their iniquities. I will remember their sin no more. Can I get an amen to that? When you look at this covenant, this new covenant, again, it's not the Mosaic covenant. It has a name. It's not Jeremiah covenant because it's not made with Jeremiah. This covenant's not been made yet. Remember, he says in the it's going to come in the future. When he made the covenant with David, he made the covenant with David. When he made the covenant with Abraham, he made it with Abraham. When he made it with Moses, he made it with Moses. But this covenant has not been established yet. The very first phrase, behold, the days are coming. It will be a new covenant. And this new covenant, without jumping ahead too far to Christmas, 
Let's just kind of dwell in this, in this dark moment that they're living in. What does this new covenant look like, feel like, taste like? There's several qualities of this new covenant. One, it's a heart-to-heart covenant. It's a heart-to-heart covenant. It's how God wanted the first covenants to be anyway, but he kind of gotten off of that. He'd given them 10 directional statements. 10, not 110, 10. I even had some of y'all tested you on the day that we did that. Can you go home and take the test? How'd you do? Write them out. How close did you get? Directional covenants. You know what happens to the people of Israel? They make, out of the 10, they make 613 of them. They make 613 laws to help interpret the 10 laws that God gave. Basically, it became a list of rules that the, that the religious police would come along, crack your wrist or get onto you or, 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 or shame you because you didn't keep the 613. I can maybe remember 10 on a good day. A 613? That's what's before you? you how, how are you going to do that? It becomes a burden. It becomes too much. It becomes a, a duty list and not something you delight in. That's not how God designed his precepts, his principles to be. First John chapter 5, verse 3 says, And this is the, the love of God that we would keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They, they're not. They're sweet. They lead to life. They lead to blessing. They're not a burden. In chapter 31, verse 33, notice how he is driving at the heart. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. The first time he wrote it on tablets of stone. This time he's going to write it on their hearts. That's a big thing because God is wanting a heart to heart relationship, not a head to head, not a mouth to head, not a hands to hand, but a heart to heart relationship. Proverbs 23, seven says, for as a man, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. God knows that the very heart of the matter is where we, where, where we really are, the very seed of who we are, the very essence of, of who we are is at our heart. God does his work and in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. It says this, and therefore, he is the mediator. Hang on to that phrase. He is the mediator of a covenant, of a new covenant. This is the new covenant coming into play. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Okay? Remember I told you week one, I did not like Old and New Testament, Old and New Covenant. Because it seems like the old is canceling out or the new is canceling out the old. I'd like to have it call it first and second covenants because they're really completion of one. But if Jesus uses new covenant or the Bible uses new covenant, we got to go with that, right? The mediator of a new covenant. But don't, don't let it disregard the old so that those who are called may receive the, the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, short, short here. We've all broken God's laws. And if you think for one skinny minute that you didn't break God's laws, then you need some self-awareness. 
Go talk to somebody that loves you and will speak truth to you. We've all broken God's laws. There's not one of us better than any of us that we all don't need a mediator to stand in the gap between God's eternal inheritance and our transgressions. Who is the mediator? Chapter 12, he tells us exactly in his own words. It's not going to some other chapter and book. It's not going to some other book, some other author. He tells us who it is. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant to the sprinkled blood. You remember the first, second week, I think I talked about different kinds of covenants. There was the handshake covenant. There was a shoe covenant. Walk a mile in my shoe. I'll walk a mile in your shoe. We kind of understand each other. There's the salt covenant. But the most sacred covenant in Scripture was a blood covenant. It's the most enduring covenant. This is a blood covenant sprinkled with blood of Jesus this is the, not the only time he's called the mediator. Paul calls him the mediator. In, 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 in Timothy's writings in chapter 2, verse 5, he says that there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. So, folks, it's not Mike is a mediator and Jesus is a mediator. It's not the priest is a mediator and, and Jesus is a mediator. It's not Mary is a mediator and Jesus is a, No, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So when we come to the new covenant, we come to the realization that we need a mediator. Stand in that gap for us. You don't need a new leaf. You don't need a new year's resolution. You don't need a new husband and you don't need a new wife. You don't need a new job. You don't need new toys. You need a new relationship. You need a heart-to-heart relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have that today, I'm just going to put cookies on the bottom shelf. Give your life to Jesus right here and now. If you're watching, give your life to Jesus right here and now. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my mediator between God and man, between my sin and your your eternal inheritance. I want you to be the mediator in the middle, bringing us together. First Peter chapter uh, three verse eighteen says, "There's one. There's one uh, person between us and God, and it is." The man Christ Jesus, there's not only the heart-to-heart, but there's the spirit-to-spirit. The spirit-to-spirit. Now, again, there's so much that makes up who we are. We're, we're, you know, there's the body, there's the mind. But the Scripture points to us being multiple dimensions, not a dichotomy of a, of a, of a body and a mind, but we are more of a trichotomy, that we are a body, mind, and a spirit there's a spiritual side of us that, as as as, Paul, as John was told, as John records Jesus with Nicodemus, he says, "You must be born again, born of the water and born of the Spirit." But in in this passage, look at verse thirty four, and no longer this is the awkward statement. No longer shall each of you teach his neighbor, or each his brother, saying, "Know the Lord." Now, that doesn't mean that because you have the message of the covenant that you know, I don't have to tell anybody. It's not saying that at all. Neither is it saying that, hey, because you have the spirit or because this, there's this, you have the new covenant that, that you don't need to be taught. Okay. It's not saying that. But this is different than the old covenant. 
where you had to rely on somebody to tell you, had to rely on somebody to teach you. What Jesus is going to do, what God is going to do in his new covenant, it's very clear, and Ezekiel records that, which, by the way, is a contemporary of Jeremiah. He says, I will give you a new heart. We just talked about heart to heart. And a new spirit. A spirit. It's not, it's not trying to say synonymous things here. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put it within you, and I will remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and the heart, uh, uh, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. Because you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, to be careful to obey my rules. They had a hard time obeying. But now we in the new covenant are going to get a spirit that's going to live in us, abide in us, become a part of us. To where I don't ever live a day without his spirit. I can ignore his spirit, but I don't want to. Because his spirit's going to lead me in the path of righteousness. In fact, what it says in in Luke chapter 12, verse 12, he said, "And, and for the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you ought to say. He's going to teach us what we ought to say. John chapter 16, verse 13. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will speak. He'll speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears me, he he, he hears, uh, will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen, the, the Christmas story is, is the promise of Jesus with us. But the Christmas story doesn't end with just Jesus with us. It's the Holy Spirit that will be in us. Jesus, the promise that God is with us. We just sang about it. The Holy Spirit, the promise of God is in us, that I don't live a day of my life. I don't make a decision in my life. I don't, I don't go through my life without listening closely and intently to his spirit. Other times in scripture, it's called the comforter, the counselor, the coach. That's my phrase, conviction, character. He's going to build that into our life. He becomes our coach, guiding us through life. We're starting a series in the new year called Unleashed. Because I'm afraid so many people have forgotten God. The God that is inside of them. The God that is there to teach them. The God that is there to guide them. The God that is there to change their character. They think of salvation. They think of, oh, Jesus saved me when I was a kid. And he will save me one day when I go, when I die. But what happens between here and there? The Spirit of God is at work in us, building character. Will you unleash Will you allow the Spirit of God to be unleashed in you? That's starting in January. Number three, not only heart to heart, not only spirit to spirit, that we, our spirit takes on the Spirit of, of God inside of us, but forgiveness to freedom. This new covenant moves us from forgiveness into freedom. Verse 34, last part, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I want you to breathe that verse in for a moment. 
Because for some of you, the shame, the regret is so overwhelming. I want to give you that the new covenant that is mediated by Jesus wants to step into your life as God and to forgive you and to remember it no more. Now, there's a theological problem with this verse. Because if you're God, you're omnipotent, you know everything. So how can an omnipotent God forget anything? And the reality is that he can't. God cannot be God and not know something. Oh, Mike, you're contradicting Scripture. When he says, I'm going to remember it no more, it doesn't mean he's cognitively not going to know it's there. But he's not going to remember it to bring it up again. He's not going to hold it against you. When people say, I'll forgive, but I can't forget. True. But whenever you truly forgive and you don't remember it any longer, it means you're not going to bring it back up in their face anymore. You're not going to hang it over their head any longer. Romans chapter 11, verse 24 says, I will be my covenant, and this will be my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. God will take away our sins. So what is this, again, the idea of forgiving and forgetting, and I'm going to forgive their sins and take away their sins and remember it no more. This is the best description I can give of it. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? I don't even know if that's east or west. I think that's west. And that's east. How far is is that? Well, think about it like this. If you were to jump in your um, time-traveling machine, DeLorean, that we've been using through this series, and you were to go west, 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 how far would you go west before you started going east? You're going to keep going west, and you will never go east. Or if you go east, 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 you'll never go west. But let's say if he said, I'm going to throw it as far as the north is from the south. You're going to go north, 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 north. And eventually, north meets south. But whenever you go east to west, they never meet. So whenever God's not going to hold it over our sins, he's going to throw it as far that way. And it's never going to meet with that side. That is the new covenant in Jesus Christ. There is not another deity. There is not another religion. There is not another good works that can get you there. It is literally stepping into the grace and the goodness of God and letting it encompass you. Jesus Christ, as he walked on this earth and lived out his life for 33 years, whether you were with the aristocrats of John chapter 3, read it for yourself, or you're with the unknown, unnamed, unacknowledged, unaccepted woman of John chapter 4. And Devin did a great job speaking about her a few weeks ago. So you got the aristocrat of Nicodemus, well-known, well-named, well-educated, well-empowered. Or you've got a woman who's had five and living with somebody right now, husbands. You got all points in between, and grace of God meets at every single one of them. 
the amazing grace of God touches every one of those. If you have your your Lord's Supper elements to, today, I would like you to take them out now. And let me just say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to reiterate what the Lord just said. If you're a follower of Jesus, or you just gave your life to Jesus today, or you're saying, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I want to follow Jesus. I want him to be my mediator. Then I do want you to text in GPC to connect the 97000. And just whenever you get this little survey back, it's going to ask you, to check what you're, what, you're, what you're writing in about. And the one statement that says, I'm beginning my relationship with Jesus, triggers a pastor to reach out to you within the next 24 to 48 hours. And we want to walk with you. If you don't want to wait that long, you come see me at Guest Central. Lori and I will be hanging out there. If you're here today and you're in a relationship with Jesus, and you're in a right relationship with Jesus, we invite you to partake. There are two parts of this. If you can separate the two out, there's the bread, as Jesus called it that. And, and I want you to, to notice what Jesus said when he comes to this. He says, Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He is establishing a new covenant. He is establishing a ritual ceremony, a celebration of that new covenant. And he is giving it to the church. He's giving it to his believers. And he's saying, when you do do this and remember me. Since COVID, we've been using these combination packs, if you will. And to to be honest with you and transparent with you. When they first came out, I was disgusted that we would do something like this. And But it's the world we live in, right? And one of the things that's been a bit to get used to is this thing, this little wafer. If you were growing up, or grew up in the church I grew up in, you had these little square things, okay? Little unleavened crackers. And at least it had a crunch these don't have a crunch. In fact, the first time I took it, it, it was kind of like a, I bit down on it. I thought I was biting down a styrofoam. And then I realized something. They're not meant to be eaten. If you'll, in a moment, take it and just lay it on your tongue. Press your tongue against the roof of your mouth and let it dissolve. You know what? As much as I don't like this, what it has done, it has slowed down my communion. And we need to slow down more. I'm not biting and chewing and moving on. I'm letting it dissolve. And in that space, I'm being mindful of the life of Jesus. Father God, we take this in remembrance of you. Not out of duty, but out of delight that you loved us, pursued us, forgive us, and will remember our sins no more. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.
the same way also he took the cup. And after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Both times he says, do this. It's an imperative command. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, your word tells us. So we take this, Lord, not to save us, not to mediate our way back to God. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one and only mediator. And we recognize Jesus today and his spilt blood for us. The sprinkled blood that makes the new covenant even possible. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood, for your death, for your resurrection, and for the life you give us. In Jesus' name.